Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I have a good episode today. Uh, it is a timely episode. I am talking to Dr. Meg Vaught and uh, Sarah Mills from the Maine Veter- Veterinary Medical Center, uh, which you may recognize from a recent uh, PR social media uh, disaster. Uh, these guys uh, have been through the ringer uh, of sort of public shaming cancel culture aimed at veterinarians uh they have a lot of perspective right now uh on on cyberbullying. uh their staff was really put through a lot there were death threats things like that for their hospital um i th- think that this is something that happens more than we like to admit to veterinarians and veterinary hospitals and i think that hearing their story is really uh interesting and i think it's valuable for people to recognize that this this can happen it happens to veterinarians who don't do anything wrong um, and who are just trying their best, and and no one's no one's a no one's a monster here, uh, as far as the pet owners or 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 the staff or anything. We we deal with emotional cases, and and we live in a world where people uh, online can be can be keyboard warriors and and not really forgive or even try to understand uh, the whole story before they react. And so anyway, this is super timely, super topical. Um, it is a it is a sad story but there's hope at the end and uh and i hope that sharing this with everybody is going to um maybe help some practices out that have to deal with uh with pr nightmares um and that will also sort of give maybe some pet owners some perspective on what it looks like from the veterinarian side when uh you hear a story that breaks on the news or on the media that paints some uh paints them in a, in a negative light so anyway guys let's get into this episode This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Megan Vaught and uh, Sarah Mills. How are you guys doing? We're great. How are you? I'm doing really well. I am. Uh, I'm glad to be able to talk to you. Uh, for those who don't know you, uh, Doctor Vaught, you are uh, an emergency critical care specialist. You are the ECC service director at Maine Vet Medical Center, and you were the uh, doctor on the case of a recent uh, uh, PR nightmare uh, that that you guys got to deal with. Uh, Sarah, you are the Director of Marketing and Communications uh, at uh, at Rare Breed or at Maine Vet Med Center specifically? At Rare Breed, but since they're um, they're part of our group, then also in gotcha. Perfect. Well, thank you guys uh, both for being here. You know, we met just about two weeks ago in the worst of circumstances uh, when uh, Maine Vet Medical Center was um, was really um, I, being publicly shamed, I, I think is probably the best way to say it from a social media standpoint. You guys had that nightmare situation where um, the members of the public uh, reacted to a case that you saw in a over-the-top way, uh, culminating in death threats for you and the staff and just a general horrible nightmare experience. And uh, Meg, you reached out to me and said, hey, we're going through this and coming out the other side and and we don't want other people to to have to experience this we want to we want to see what we can do to address this uh in the future and, and see what's possible and you guys were already working on things to try to help other practices that might have experiences like this in the future and uh and I just I think what you're doing is wonderful I want to be super supportive because this is something I've seen 
in the past many, many times. And we've, you know, I've, I've reached out to some practices that have been through it to try to give them some support uh, as you sort of weather these storms. But I thought that having you here to talk would be, um, one, I think it'd be informative for people. Um, but two, I, th- these types of things happen. I think they're going to continue to happen in vet medicine. And I want people to know that they're not alone uh, in the world. And so I think sometimes by sharing experiences, we can, we can help people, um, we can help people later on say, oh, well, this, I'm not the only one, this has happened to others. And, and, and they turned out okay. Right, for sure. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. And, you know, it is so important to kind of take our experience and hopefully no one has to go through it again. But we know yeah, it happens yeah. so often, unfortunately, and hopefully not to this extent. But to share what we have learned through this terrible um, episode and try to shift it into something better. Yeah, I I I, I agree. I, I think that's I think that is a worthy goal, and that's what we're going to go for. So uh, why don't you guys start? I'm going to just open up to you with this very broad question for anyone who uh, is not familiar. Uh, what what happened? What are we talking about? Yeah, so we recently had a case here of a dog who unfortunately needed emergency surgery and unfortunately wasn't able to be done with his pet parents. Um, We went through a lot of steps to try to get the best care that we could for him um, and kind of keep him with his family. And ultimately, you know, certainly things were progressing. His his overall state was progressing um, and what he was going through in those moments. And so we, we were posed with the question, as I think a lot of veterinarians are, as well as the veterinary support staff, of euthanasia. Um, and there isn't always yeah. the option to have a surrender. Um, but that was thankfully an option for us as well as something that the family was open to. Um, And so we did look at those options together as a team. Um, They did elect to move forward with surrendering it to another individual. And then the dog thankfully did have the procedure that he needed to have to continue to recover and heal from what was going on. One of the reasons that I was sort of struck by this, and I have been thinking a lot about it and about about you guys, is uh, is how common this is. And I'm just going to go ahead and own own it and say... um, it was just a couple of weeks ago and I had a case came in and a dog that was hit by a car and its front leg was was run over and it, and it had a, a fractured uh, radius and ulna. And, uh, and the owner did not have the resources to do the surgery. And then you're looking at this nine month old dog and going, hey, what, you know, what do we what do we do here? And so we had that conversation and the owner made it easy for me because she said to me, I don't really want this dog. She said, someone yeah. gave me this dog and I didn't want the dog. And then I said, well, then why don't you surrender the dog and, and, um, and I can find someone else who will pay for the surgery and, um, and do it. And so I had just gone through that exact case into some level that you guys went through a couple of weeks ahead of time. And so I, I just, I think that's one of the most important things in this conversation is having a change of ownership has it, it is a tool in our toolbox to get pets care when finances are not available and it has been for generations it has always been yeah. hey you can't afford this uh, i don't want to put the dog down you don't want the dog to be put down can we find someone else who would take this this pet now um i think that's an interesting sort of ethical conversation we've all we've all wrestled with that 
but it has been fairly commonplace in our profession of this is a way to get care. One of the things I think is important about your position and kind of this story without getting too much into the specific details for obvious reasons, um, you know, you guys, it, this was not, I just want to be clear, this was not the case where the vet says, we'll take the dog and we'll give it to one of our staff members. This was the thing where you had someone else who said, I will pay for this significant surgery and take this pet. And I really think that that's important to note. I, I have, I have in the past, I have very much wrestled with the, uh, the trick that I've seen many vets uh, do where they say, um, okay, you can't afford this. Well, just give us the dog and then I'll give it to one of the staff. And, and, and the pet owner understandably says, well, if you're just going to give the dog, if you're going to do the surgery for free and give the dog to someone, why don't you give it back to me exactly. who loves it and wants it? And, 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 and I just want to make the point very much. That was not the position you guys were in. You had someone else who said, we will, I will pay for this. Um, but, but, but it will be a change of ownership. Yep, exactly. And so, uh, yeah. So, okay. So that's how all of this sets up. And uh, we have a, another person, another party who's going to come in and pay for ownership. The, uh, the pet owner went through, signed over our, uh, all the paperwork and said, we're going to do this. Uh, this is uh, most important to us that we get this surgery done. And I also want to be uh, clear here because I think this is an important part of the case as well. We're not talking about a $900 surgery. We're, we're talking about, about a five-figure surgery. Correct. Yeah. I mean, at a baseline based on his injuries, I mean, he had a septic abdomen and a pyothorax and penetrating form material. He was going to need to very easily be, you know, a $10,000 at the at the minimum and a yeah. long recovery based on what his injuries were. And then depending on the extent or the progression there, certainly we never know like what those complications could look like from underlying sepsis. Yeah. And so I, I think it's, I always think it's important in, in these, in these, uh, in these conversations when we start to, to unpack this is to give some empathy to the pet owner. You know what I mean? And say, Hey, um, I, I, most of us don't have 10 grand, you know, in a savings account that we can just bust out. And we know that most pet owners don't have pet insurance that, you know, like uh, less than 1% does. And so, uh, I think most of us can at least be understandable and say, oh my gosh, what a horrible situation to be in when you say, I want to do this, I care about this pet, I don't have $10,000 minimum uh, that, that I can just spend on this. And and what a horrible upsetting experience for that person. And I just think that's important to put on the table and say, I, 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 th I think that we can, we can all uh, empathize with that. And so what happens next is kind of what I think I want to unpack really and, and start to think about what does this mean for vet medicine? And so it sounds like everything is often going, uh, going as planned. And there you guys, uh, you, it sounded to me that like when you and I originally talked about it, you dotted all your I's, you crossed all your T's, you had a, a, a contract that said, Hey, this is what's going to happen. Everyone understands that, you know, there was, there was very clear expectations. And so you went through the work, you signed the contracts, you made the transfers, you do the surgery, uh, which, um, honestly, Meg, did you do the surgery? I did not. No. Okay. That, so props to that person. Uh, because, uh, the septic abdomen, you know, uh, pyothorax, I just, um, nasty, nasty, horrible thing. And, and they got a good outcome, which was, which was great and not at all guaranteed going in. So a uh, successful surgery, but then things started to go sideways. So tell me about how that went down. Yeah. So like you said, you know, ultimately the goal of him having, you know, a happy and healthy life, he was recovering very well. 
um, all of those pieces are are super important. Obviously, the family's goal, our goal, and so you know that's where we were kind of you know hoping it was going to stay. Unfortunately, one of the area networks picked up a very one-sided news story, which then very quickly went viral all over social media and the news yeah. and whatnot, um, which led to a lot of backlash to the hospital. Um, we had thousands and thousands of phone calls that were threatening and harassing on a single afternoon, which led us to shutting down our phone systems and being creative about how we could still continue to provide the very best care for the patients and clients that do truly still need to, to be, see, be seen in those moments, um, while also trying to kind of support each other in this crisis. Yeah. You, okay. So to put this in perspective, because this is this is what really kind of blew my mind. Um, you told me you had 3,200 phone calls in one day. I don't even know what that looks like. So uh, tell me that. Like, honestly, like at the front desk, what did that look like? I mean, just the phones just as soon as they were hung up, they they would ring again, all the lines blown yeah. up all day. What, is, what does that look like? Yeah. So and this was mostly started kind of like midday. So it's really only like in a half a day. Um, but we have we normally have 10 phone lines. Um, they were running faster than you could pick them up. Uh, there were botted phone calls, so I've never really had experience with that prior to this, but it's programmed to dial as soon as it's hung up, and it just keeps dialing, which is crazy. Um, there's always another person on the other side of the call, but it just kept continuing. And really, the lobby and our like client care area, our reception, and the very front of our hospital looked like probably the best concert you've ever been in with the entire staff there to help support and facilitate the movements that we needed to do, which was both get the actual patients that were here in the parking lot, the care that they needed, as well as to support the client care team who has to listen to all of this negativity to be able to kind of take a step back and spread out all of that a little bit so that we could tease out the calls that truly needed to come through. Well, how did you do that? How did you separate the actual clients calling saying, I need a medica- I need a medication refill. My pug needs his yeah. nails trimmed. Uh, and you're separating that from 3,000 uh, angry phone calls from people uh, who found you on the internet. Uh, how, do you, how do you do you that? Just, yeah, we had to pick up every single phone call. Eventually, oh we turned God. our phone straight to voicemail um, yeah. and had to be very creative about how can we have clients... Al- you know, tell us that they're here and need care, um, which we had to be yeah. able to create about and didn't want to put on social media the solution so that that wasn't also getting bogged down. Yeah. Um, but we did certainly have to pick up those calls for many hours until we finally just said, we have to go to voicemail. And then we still have to listen yeah. to those voicemails to find the clients mm-hmm. who do need their refill or have a question from a recent discharge. Oh my gosh. What what was the situation like in the building? Were clients there going on just like normal? Were there picketers? Like, were there was there people who actually showed up um, to make life hard in person? Or was this 100% sort of a virtual outside the building thing? I would say it was very much mostly virtual and outside and phone okay. calls and that sort of thing. That makes me kind feel good. Keyboard warrior. Um, there were many very specific threats, unfortunately. So we did have local police department 24 hours a day here at the hospital for about 10 days. Um, we did have normal movement and normal clients arriving. We're currently still curbside. So we had people kind of 
coming up, whether they're there for a specialty appointment or through the emergency room. Um, so those processes were still happening as normal. There were a few people who had just like coincidentally seen it on social media or on the news while they're sitting in the parking lot and asked questions. But a lot of our truly wonderful clients and patients was just an outpouring of support, even in those actual moments. That's so tell me about tell me about that. What what is what did it what did it look like? What did the clients sort of do do? Uh, yeah, what did the supportive clients do exactly? And, and then like, how did that? How was that received by the by the staff? I think it was a refresh when things were a little bit more shifting. That there were a few positive things coming through, but certainly those were drowned out by the thousands of mm-hmm. negative things initially. But some clients just wrote emails and to say, hey, you have always treated my dog wonderful, or I only have my dog because of this particular case or, or doctor. Um, so I think that was really uplifting for a lot of this, the team, regardless of what their yeah. role was, which was really important. Um, I do find also, I don't know if it's coincidental or not, but clients were very patient and very kind that whole week. Um, that the ER could have been very backed up, but everyone was super appreciative that people, because we never closed, we were always here um, to be wow. able to still get the, the care that they needed. That that makes, that does make me feel good. I think, I think I really like and want to believe that when these things happen, it is this outside keyboard warrior existential thing and your actual clients tend to know better and, and, and the experience you have with, with face-to-face people who come in and, and see that you're a human being, that, that, that tends to be different. So I, I feel I feel a little bit validated in, in having that belief. And that, yeah. that makes me feel good. How how long was the onslaught really going on? So you, you, this this was, uh, I said, you've got this day and you've got 3,000 people to call. Did that last for a day? Did it last for five days? Kind of just general, before it started to taper off and people seemed to, to kind of lose their enthusiasm for just being horrible to a stranger. Yeah. I would say probably about 24 hours. We were on voicemail after a couple of, you know, probably five to six hours. We went to voicemail. It really did kind of take the volume tapered off after that 24 hour period. We still were getting some intermittent calls for probably about a week, Um, but not to the volume as that we had initially. Okay, that's good. Hey, everybody. I just want to jump in real quick with a couple of updates. Gang, before I do, though, I got to get a shout out. I got to get some love to Banfield, the pet hospital. Guys, they have stepped up and supported us in getting transcripts for both this podcast and the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast, which is the other podcast that I host. They do it uh, to increase accessibility and inclusion in our profession. That is a uh, that is a big uh point for them right now is is something that they are doing for our whole profession and industry. And they stepped up and put their money where their mouth was and said, how can we help you? And I said, hey, this is a thing that people have asked for. And uh, it's a a big lift for us. And and Banfield said, we got you, buddy. And they have made this happen. So if you want transcripts for our podcast, we got them. Head over to unchartedvet.com. You can see all of our podcasts and you can see transcripts for those there. Feel free to share them. Help us get the word out. But I just got to give some love to Banfield because they didn't have to do that. But but they did, and it is awesome. So thanks to them. Over on the Uncharted Veterinary Conference side of the house, guys, we have a workshop coming up on July the 13th with my friend, Brett Canfield. If you don't know Brett, you're missing out. He is awesome. He is such a fun, interesting person. He has great insights on what motivates people and the psychology of management. And he is doing a workshop on managing a negative team member. 
I know none of you guys work with a negative team member. I know you don't have anyone in your practice who's good at their job, but their attitude leaves something to be desired. And you would like to coach that person or work with that person or motivate that person or try to get a change in that behavior to get that negativity turned around uh, just to make the person more successful in your practice. Guys, this workshop is open to everybody. It is free to Uncharted members. If you don't have your Uncharted membership yet, you should really think about that. It is $99 to the public. I put link uh, a link in the show notes, or you can head over to unchartedvet.com and see all of our workshops coming up. But that is on July the 13th with Brett Canfield. Don't want to miss that on the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast, which is the other podcast I do with Stephanie Goss. Uh, we are talking about help my practice doesn't write up soaps. We got a letter in our mailbag from somebody who went to a practice and they like it, but the doctors don't write up medical records. Uh, what is this person going to do? Is this a deal breaker? Do we leave? Um, do we say something? What do we say? That's what's happening on the Uncharted podcast. Last but not least, if you have not grabbed the copy of my new training course. It is the on-demand course. You can find it in the store at drandywork.com. It is my exam room toolkit course. It is 17 tips, tools, and hacks for you to train your staff or yourself on how to work effectively in the exam room, how to enjoy being in the exam room, how to set clear expectations, how to manage the clients that are there, and how to get the best patient care done for those patients who walk through your door. Guys, head over there and check it out. It is an on-demand course. Uh, you can uh, get it whenever you like. It is made to be done with teams, but individuals can 100% go through it as well. I hope you'll check it out. Let's get back into this episode. Tell me about, about other veterinary professionals reaching out. You guys heard from other people in the profession, correct? We, yeah, the outpouring of love and support from everywhere around the world is really, really wonderful. And I think really what helped everyone get through this. So just a huge thank you to anyone and everyone who's out there. Um, our walls currently are like smattered with all of the cards that we receive. There were donuts delivered from Michigan. There was you know, so much love and support coming even from around the globe, never mind just the country. So it was wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. What's it like managing the staff through something like this? What was their, what was their experience? I'm talking about your, your technician, your, your assistants, the, I, and we can talk about the front desk as well. Um, I know everybody was helping pick up phone calls, but yeah, help me get my head around that. What was it like to, to keep people going uh, during during a time like this? Yeah, I think certainly there's a lot of anxiety because the world is tricky nowadays. The threat mm -hmm. actually might hold weight. And I think that that is a hard thing to manage in the moment or to, to process mentally. Um, but they did truly rally to say, we need to be here for the patients that need us. You know, here in Maine, we don't have 30 emergency rooms around the area. You know, there's one, there, there's us and one other major resource for patients that need care um, or specialty you know, care. So I think it is and was really important that we are always present for those that need us. And that's really where they kind of stuck into, which was great to just be there and be present for the patients that we need and to rally together as a group that we're pretty great. You know, they're doing some great things yeah. every day and it's something to be proud of. We know what we, what our goal was and that 
what our mission was to help that dog as well as all of our patients. Um, and to try to just kind of stay in that, that mind frame rather than get into the negativity. Did you have anybody who just said, I don't feel safe coming in uh, to work? Yeah. Unfortunately, we did have a couple of people who elected to stay home or whatnot. Yeah. Um, thankfully, like I said, the surrounding police departments were great with be- their presence, which I think really did help people. Yeah. Um, just that we always had added support. Yeah, I, I could think I think that that would have an impression on me if I was if I was going in there. So I, I think that that's that's wonderful that they were willing to do that. Um, we're looking. So you've, you've gone through this experience um, and it was pretty awful. Uh, talk talk to me about um, about resources that you used, support that you got. What was helpful to you guys in sort of keeping your spirits up, first of all, but also just navigating the situation that was going on. Because guys, we don't get any training in social media, you know, cyberbullying attacks. Uh, how how was that experience? I'm sure that you probably didn't have, uh, like, oh, I have a long history of dealing with this. No, I don't think most of us do. Uh, how did, talk, talk to me about picking up those skills uh, on the fly. Yeah, it's tricky. I would say having personally been through it, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who are not as lucky as I am to have someone like Sarah Mills here. Um, But having those resources, and I think truly, you said it earlier, that you're not alone. It is very isolating, even though there's tons of people around you to be the point person for what you thought was doing the very best thing that you could for that for that pet. Um, And that's really tricky. And so I think knowing that you're not alone, there is a great profession out there and everyone has your back um, and truly sees what you're doing and what is the important pieces to the story. Uh, but knowing, because I certainly didn't, knowing that there are great resources out there with NAMV and AVMA and having some of these cyberbullying uh, um task force and resources out there. Um, we are working very closely with NAMB to truly make kind of a crisis folder for further resources and cyberbullying. And I certainly have Sarah talk a little bit more about that. But I think I think for me too, one of the really important pieces is is to kind of try to bring humanity back into veterinary medicine, like you said. You know, the clients that are there in, in person know who that you are a person, that you are here. And it's so easy to go behind a screen or a keyboard or a phone call. And it's not, we're not remembering that, you know, yes, we're a veterinarian or a technician or someone who works in client care, but we all are people who care very much about the medicine that we're providing and the, and the patients. And we want to partner with these families to do truly what we all started out to do. Yeah. You know, I've never had an experience at all like uh, like what you guys went through, but I have been unpopular on the Internet uh, in times. And I'll tell you, it feels terrible. And and it is hard to explain to someone who has not been through it because they go, oh, well, you just ignore those people. They, they call and you know that, that, you know, you can blow them off. And I go, man, when it's someone coming after you, and you feel that your reputation and all the things that you have done in the past are being destroyed and and just just disregarded, and that you're that you've worked so hard uh, to to be helpful, and to have that just just absolutely crapped on, it makes you feel so terrible. And you know the the the, the comment I made to another doctor when uh, when I was first looking at this, I'll just tell you. It was uh, no good deed goes unpunished. 
you know, and you just feel so bad. You feel like if I hadn't tried to help, if I hadn't pushed so hard, I wouldn't have to deal with any of this. And like, that is just this extra kick in the gut that I just think it just, ah, I, I, I know it's, it's so, so tough. And so that's, that's why I think it's so great that you guys are talking about this just to, to let people know, because man, it feels so isolating to have what feels like a horde of people. And it's actually six people, not about not your guy. My case is actually six people, uh, ra- uh, supporting each other and, and, and telling me I'm terrible. But, um, but man, it just, it's hard. If you haven't been through it, you don't realize how, like what caveman instincts take over as far as like, oh my gosh, I'm being, I'm going to be destroyed. And this is, this is the end. So yeah, I, I think that that's, um, I, again, I, I think it's, it's wonderful that you guys are doing this. Um, have you made any changes having gone through this? I'm just curious. I, I, I don't, you know, um, I, I, anytime I would have a, a situation like this, I'd always go and say, well, what am I going to do differently next time? Or what changes would I make in the future? And so for those of us looking from the outside, were there things afterwards you were like, yeah, I would do this differently next time? I think, no. And I think we've certainly chatted as a group as far as, you know, continuing to work really closely with our you know rescues and shelters in the area. And what are those payment resources that we can use or how can we have a better conversation about pet insurance and things like that so that it's more about preventing and preparing rather than the scramble in the end. Um, Because certainly we don't want anyone to have to be in this situation, but emergencies come up. And as we both know, routine medical care can be expensive. And so how can we look to doing that a little bit differently so that we can have better pet parent education and um, community knowledge for what these the value and the true cost of veterinary medicine is. If if you could go back right now and give yourself one piece of advice, right when the phone started to ring, like it just just the, like it's lunchtime, but you're like, boy, it's been a quiet day today, and the first angry phone call comes in. If you Meg could pop your head through time and space and whisper something into your ear, like what piece of advice would you give yourself uh, as you started to go through this uh, experience? I think it's hard because I don't know that I completely know the answer yet. I am someone who needs to try to bring it into something positive, which is what has been kind of our next mission. But I think in that moment, I probably would try to tell myself, don't take it personally, because that's definitely Mm -hmm. how it felt. And it's very isolating, even though you have everyone's support. Sarah, you, uh, I don't know, I can't imagine that you have experience uh, with things like this either. If you could go back and give yourself as the, uh, as the director of marketing and communications, what, what piece of advice would you give yourself right when you, when, when things started to, uh, to be nasty? Um, I, I think I'm right there with Meg. It's, it's hard to say what you'd say to yourself in that exact moment, other than don't take it personal because it is personal, right? It feels very personal in that minute. And our number one priority was let's take care of the pets that are here, the ones that need Mm -hmm. to be seen. Let's make sure that we can do everything in our power to stay open and to get the care to those pets that need us and those pet parents. Um, And, and after that, right, the safety of the safety of the staff and the team is making sure that everyone here is safe. So it does feel very personal in that minute when you're going through all that. I don't think that, um, I don't think that we could have done anything different in the way that we managed the crisis at the time, because I think our 
client service team, our technicians, our vet assistants, our veterinarians, everyone was so professional and just really stuck to making sure that everything was done 100% to the best of our ability here, right? Making sure that our clients in the parking lot were safe. We were definitely in crisis mode, which is something that we never prepared for, never considered something that would happen to our hospital, to our little state of Maine. Um, And it it just shows that it can happen. It can happen anywhere. Um, And that's why we want to share our story. This is really important. Like you said, this happens everywhere and all the time. And we, we dug our heels in and we said, we're done. We're not going to, we're not going to be bullied and we're not going to bully the bully. So we're not going to come at it with a, any sort of um, perspective that would hurt, that would hurt the client or any of our, any of our clientele or our community. We want to use this as a, as a jumping off point to really support our veterinary community, our pet parents, and, and use this as a positive. We. When you say, you know, we really focused on the pets that were in the building, um, it reminds me of the Viktor Frankl quote, um, you some, someone with a why can accomplish any how. Uh, some, it's, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like that. Do you think that having that focus on the patients who were in the building, did that give you a sort of a sense of purpose or something to kind of put your head down and kind of work on that, that was beneficial? I think so. And I think especially for the rest of the team is to kind of continue their normal day to day, even though we might have to jump through a couple extra hoops to make sure that the normal phone's ringing. How can we do that differently so that we can still know who's here and who needs that care and how can we communicate differently? But I think it did really help them focus on their ultimate mission and what their day-to-day goal is and why they come to work. And that's so important. Yeah. I, you know, I, I started to think a lot about after our first conversation uh, and, and trying to make things better and sort of digging in your heels, as you said, and saying, well, we, want, we want to make a difference with this. And I thought, you know, what do you do about these things that are almost, it's almost like a, 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 a freak of nature, you know, sort of occurrence where you say, I don't, you know, this this was this massive external event and, and it was kind of a lightning strike unlucky. And you go, what do you do about that? And, and I, th- I sat and I thought with it for a long time. And, and I think I think what I took away from from sort of what you're trying to do, and I guess, guess what I would sort of say as an optimist is to say, I do believe that we can decrease the probability of things like this happening. And I do think that we can decrease the severity when they happen. And we do that through setting expectations, um, having resources available by talking to pet owners and kind of generally letting people know what we're trying to do and, and, and how we're trying to care. But then also to your point about having conversations of how do we make care affordable or keep it affordable or what do we do, you know, to help people with payment options and things like that. And so talk to me a little bit about how you transitioned. Once you kind of gritted your teeth and said, we want to, we want to use this and turn it into something positive and make it good for the profession. Where, where's that path sort of taking you? How, how have you moved forward? So, so far we are meeting with a number of groups of people to kind of form um, different type of paths and resources. Like we said, you know, including NAMV, um, other companies and AVMA and things like that to really work on, you know, education of, of all the communities. So whether that be our surrounding pet parents or future pet parents, as well as us as veterinary professionals, like how can we have these conversations? What are the resources out there? If this, gosh forbid, does happen, what are these resources that you can use 
if you are faced with this type of situation, because I certainly didn't know. We learned a lot of things, certainly even using our own crisis management team of how do we go about this? Um, and who who can you rally from a media standpoint and who can you not? Those sorts of things I think are really important things of how to go about the different virtual parts of the world that are so not tangible and not something that you can really sort out easily um, when it's rapidly progressing, um, seemingly yeah. kind of out of control. So that is where we are ho- hoping to go is to kind of continue these conversations and continue to you know, use this um, newer case and this platform to be able to strike a little bit of a positive change. And hopefully it's not just a little, but we can really try to help spread the word about those payment resources, like you said, or pet insurance. And, and you know, we have a community that has rallied together. Let's unite and use this together for what the future can look like so that we can step out of the current crisis that we all are in and unrelated to this case, but, you know, the whole non-V and the the mental wellness and those sorts of things. Yeah. For those who are uh, not familiar, non-V is the not one more vet group, Uh, just, just to, uh, just in case anyone's not familiar with the acronym. Um, so yeah, well, uh, Sarah, talk to me a little bit about, um, about the crisis folder. Uh, what does that look like? Kind of, yeah, give me some insight into what what that will be and, and how people would access that. Sure. So uh, when we were in the thick of everything, we were definitely in panic crisis mode. There are a lot of resources that are out there that people have um, pulled together from their own experiences, but we didn't know about them. We really had to rewrite the book for our own yeah. situation. And so the purpose of the crisis folder is really to empower all the veterinary teams to have something. Hopefully you never need it. But gosh, if you're ever in a pickle, here's what you do. Here's this folder. Here's how you turn off your social media. Here's how you turn mm-hmm. off reviews for your hospital because we saw numbers plummeting, right? It was it was yeah. coming at us from all different aspects. It was coming at us from the phone calls, text messages. People were stalking our website, reaching out to people directly, finding their names. We were getting blown up on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on TikTok. People were going to our corporate pages and reaching out to our accounting teams and threatening them. So it was a, it was an assault from all the different angles. And so what we're really hoping to do in this crisis is to put everything in one place and share these resources with every single practice that's out there. So they have the resources at their fingertip. And, and hopefully it's if they do have this type of situation, it's a much more mild version. Um, but we really want yeah. to incorporate all the different um, resources that are out there from AVMA, DVM 360, the non group. Um, there are so many different crisis resources that are out there that people don't know about. So we have the power of sharing one to many and then many to many. And eventually everyone will have this and be prepared. Yeah. Where, uh, where can people find this? Where, where, are you pl- where is it going to live? It's still under construction. We actually are. are under are, construction. <laughs> we're just starting it now and, and we're looking for um, people to join in, share their resources. And then uh, once we have it all in one, in one collection, then we'll ask mm-hmm. everyone to share it with their people so that it can get shared out with all the people. One important lesson that we learned is NOMV, if you do, gosh forbid, need it now, NOMV does have some resources. It's just not published on their website for obvious reasons. Um, but mm-hmm. it is 
certainly available upon request. You just need to know to reach out to them, which was an important lesson that we learned as well. How did you how did you reach out? Is it uh, and they have traditionally been a Facebook group. I know that they're expanding and doodling on other things. Were you a member of the group? I wasn't. No. Um, one of our doctors here actually was resident mates with one of their team members. And then Sarah's been in touch with them. So um, part of kind of just our everyone's outpouring of love and support has really connected a lot of, of team pe- team members and different avenues. Well, that sounds Absolutely fantastic. I'm going to put a link uh, to Nambi and to the AVMA resources uh, in the show notes so people can have that sort of stuff. When you guys get the crisis folder and your resources together, uh, let me know and I will shout them out here on the podcast. And then also we'll push them through the Dr. Andy Rourke social media and stuff like that to help get the word out because I'd really love to support you. Thank you both for making time to be here. And I know this is a, not a fun experience. I, I, think that, uh, I think that sharing it with other people can, can be valuable. I think sort of my, uh, my point that I like to make to people is I know how horrible, uh, this can be, this can feel to be targeted online. Um, it, this too shall pass. I I think that that's an important part, but there are things that we can do to protect ourselves, um, and, and make it better. So thank you guys both for, for being a light in that darkness and for, uh, helping our profession grow and be better. Well, thank you so much for having us. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Thanks again to uh, to Meg and to Sarah for being here. Um, again, my my uh, interest in this, uh, my my hope here is to make people who, who have experiences like this feel like they're not alone, um, to, to highlight some resources that can be helpful uh, to veterinarians or vet clinics that are going through experiences like this. And just to um, to, to sort of humanize veterinarians uh, in the eyes of the public as they uh, as they as they deal with uh, some of the nastiness that uh, manifests from from online. Um, if if something like this does happen to you, I think some of the big takeaways are uh, this too shall pass. Um, you're not alone. Uh, these things sort of happen. Um, it is it is a challenge in the work that we do trying to trying to keep our clinics going and also do what is right uh, with the cost of medicine rising as they have in the last couple of decades. So anyway, guys, complex problem, but um, but I, I do see light uh, ahead and I, I think things can get better. So anyway, guys, take care of yourselves. Be well. Talk to you later.